0: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people
1: say. You've got to open your heart.
2: Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am David Murphy, and instead of me jabbering, we're going to get right into it because it's been a big day in Philadelphia sports, and I have Matt Gelb waiting on the line to talk about the Phillies hiring of Gabe Kapler as their new manager, a move announced 24 hours ago, Uh, we were recording this on Tuesday morning, and that was initially what we were going to be talking about for the entirety of this podcast. But then, about an hour ago, the Eagles announced a trade of a fourth-round draft pick to the Miami Dolphins for running back Jay Ajayi, he of the nearly five yards per carry last season, uh, rushed for about 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns or so uh, for the Dolphins. Has struggled this year, clearly fell out of favor uh, in Miami. But it's a it's a move that clearly helps the Eagles in the here and now. Although I, I'll I'll find some things to argue with Sealski about um, as he's driving down to the Novacare complex to to cover that story. Um, we'll do that at the end of the show, probably around the thirty minute mark. Uh, for now, though, let's 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 talk Phillies because this is a big move. Uh, Phillies hot, firing Pete McCannon several weeks ago. Uh, the belief. In some circles, including this one, being that they had a candidate uh, ready, a guy that they wanted, um, a guy that that was available, and and they did not want to lose. I don't know if that ended up being the case because because Kapler, um, you know, is a rather unique choice. And uh, well, why don't we go to Matt Gelb actually, and he'll he'll he's the expert on it, and he'll he'll fill us in. Let's get in. Right, let's get right into it with Matt Gelb. Gabe Kapler, Matt. Uh, did you see this one coming? He's a for those of you who don't know, he's a, what, 40-some-year-old, former major leaguer, uh, former director of player development for the Los Angeles Dodgers, also a prolific blogger <laughs> who, among other things, recommends uh, coconut oil as a lubricant and um, that you tan your nether regions while you're tanning. What I mean, what put this into perspective.
0: Well, I should have saw it coming. I, I, I actually... I've heard Gabe's name uh, talked about before within the Phillies, uh, not as a manager, but uh, for appreciation for uh, his forward thinking. And I really didn't put the dots together a few weeks ago because I didn't know that Gabe Kapler wanted to be a manager. Uh, I figured Gabe Kapler wanted to be a general manager. Uh, but by all accounts, he, uh, he has always really wanted to manage. Uh, that's what I've heard from a lot of people who know him. And uh, he put his name out there. The Dodgers uh, reached out to the Phillies saying that Kapler wanted to manage and they thought there might be a fit there. And, look, it makes a lot of sense uh, when you consider uh, the current uh, construction of the Phillies' front office. He speaks the language that Matt Clentak and his assistants, Ned Rice, and Brian Manetti, his top two guys, they speak. Uh, He speaks the language that the owner, John Middleton, uh, I'm sure, uh, found – exhilarating and energetic uh he's uh he's it's a fascinating hire i mean this really the phillies now occupy uh a spot in the baseball spectrum that they have never occupied ever in the franchise's history i mean this is this is an aggressive hire uh he i think it's a risky hire uh the safe pick was dusty watson and that's not to say that it is the right pick uh, but they certainly uh, they certainly went with the bold choice here
1: Well, let's try to let's let's try to kind of reverse engineer it. When when do you think or when do you know that that Kapler first appeared on their radar? Uh, I mean, was this was was Pete McCannon ushered out the door in part because of Kapler, or, or is this something that came? Um, is he someone that came onto Their radar during the course of their search?
0: No, no, he came onto the radar when they started the search. I mean, they there were a lot of suggestions that the Phillies had let McCannon go because they had a replacement in mind. And I I really don't think that was the case. From everything that I've heard, that was not the case at all. Uh, And I think the prolonged search should tell you that that wasn't the
1: case. I
0: think they wanted to hear as many ideas and opinions uh, and pick as many brains as they possibly could to get a feel for how others viewed their organization, uh, for a feel for what the modern manager should look like or what their possibilities were. And uh, they've certainly used a lot of time to make this decision. And that I don't think Gabe Kapler was, was on, was necessarily, uh, you know, the reason why Pete McCann was fired. I'm sure he was on the radar. I mean, look, every general manager uh, likes to say that he keeps a short list or at least a, you know, a draft of a list in his mind, you know, who, who would be my next manager just in case whether you have to make a change or your guy leaves or something happens and like I said Gabe Tapler's name has been has been talked about in the Phillies front office before I mean they they have I think admired him from afar because of his uh, you know unique or not unique but but uh, diverse experience he was a former player who has really embraced analytics Uh, he's worked in front offices he's uh, been on the field as a manager in the minors. Uh, he he is really unlike uh, most candidates out there. And uh, when you look at the two guys who are managing the World Series right now, uh, Kapler uh, sort of uh, resembles uh, what those guys are. Both guys uh, had worked had been players in the majors. Had, are forward thinking guys. In Hinch's example, he worked in the front office for a while. Uh, they had a, both had a little more experience. Uh, in Major League Dugouts than Gabe Kapler has or will have coming into it. Uh, but there are some similarities there. So, so
1: are, are you trying to suggest that Charlie Manuel would not uh, write something along the lines of, quote, writing strengthens humans? As as you noted... Uh, no. <laughs> as you noted in no, your... No,
0: I mean, Charlie Charlie's a great storyteller, though. That's the thing. I know. Charlie wasn't as good of a writer, but he's a great storyteller. So... Uh, yeah, you know, maybe there are some similarities there. But, no, Charlie never blogged. But he does tweet a lot, so, I mean, there's that.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so as Gild noted in his uh, piece on uh, affiliate.com today about the hire, and I'm sure that we're going to have daily pieces uh, over the course of this week. Have you heard from Breen? Breen is on his honeymoon, by the way. Matt Breen is on his honeymoon. Um, I'm sure he's scrambling to get back to the States so he can cover all things um, Uh Yes, I believe he's
0: flying back. He was flying back uh, last night, I believe. What's up with him tweeting?
1: Uh, What's up with him tweeting on his on his what, honeymoon?
0: Uh,
1: you know, I don't know. I mean, he's—I'm
0: sure he had alerts, you know, for 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 everybody's tweets, especially uh, you know, especially Kevin Cooney's tweets. I'm sure he was uh, <laughs> he was breathlessly awaiting. He wouldn't
1: you know, have gotten any sleep. Updates. He wouldn't have gotten any sleep if he had alerts on Cooney's tweets. Uh, but as Gel noted today, Cap Lifestyle. If, if you're curious, uh, is is Gabe Capler's blog, K A P Lifestyle. I checked it this morning, and I think his last post was from February 27th. So I'm not sure that that is currently active. Uh, but he's a uh, he's a as Gelb said, he's a unique, unique hire. What like what? How do you think his style will play in the clubhouse? I mean, on the, on the one hand, I can see him. On the one hand. You know, he definitely speaks the language of analytics. He he kind of portrays himself as a Renaissance man. Uh, you know, on the flip side, like, the, are we sure he's not going to be? Are we sure he's not going to be the guy who graduated from high school five years ago who who's back at the party hanging out with the boys or or what?
0: Well, first of all, I think Cap Lifestyle had like a denial of service attack because I haven't been able to <laughs> get on it uh, the last day, so maybe uh, hackers got to him. But I, I think this is going to be Gabe Kapur's biggest challenge. He has, to, he has to be able to manage 25 different personalities, uh, and there certainly will be guys who don't buy into the, to what he's selling because he is selling something that is very extreme. And will it help that it's a younger team, a more impressionable team? Uh, yes, it will. Obviously the Phillies think that Gabe Kapler can connect with young players. That is something that they had prioritized, identified uh, as something that needed – the next manager needed to be able to do. And he's 42 years old. He played in the majors for a long time. He was a director of a farm system the last three years. So, yes, obviously he must be able to connect with young players because he has that experience. But he's never had to be the guy uh, to, to unify 25 different personalities. And everything that I've heard about Gabe Kapler is that he can be a polarizing guy. And, and you could probably say this about any person you've ever met or anyone who's ever been a boss. There are people who really like him. There are people who really don't like him. But it seems like Gabe Kapler has a very strong personality, and strong personalities tend to generate strong opinions. Uh, This will be his challenge. He will really—I think it'll be uh, really interesting to see how he's able to manage people. Uh, That is a difficult thing, and not everyone can do it.
1: Well, it's interesting that you um, mentioned—you mentioned the guys in the World Series. You know, AJ Hinch, I think, is the guy. More than anybody who, who Kapler would call to mind, um, and it's it's interesting to remember that AJ Hinch really struggled in his first managerial stint um, with the Diamondbacks. I think he he was exactly that kind of polarizing guy. That that um, when was that? Was that like five or six years ago?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, he really struggled to connect uh, with his entire clubhouse because he was uh, decidedly radical. Uh, and and I think that there are a lot of similarities there. There will there will be some lessons, hopefully, that the Phillies will take in from you know what Hinch went through.
1: Have, have you heard anything from the players? Um, like I mean, we talk a lot about you know how analytically driven this front office is, but and maybe from like a macro standpoint. That I mean, that's certainly that's, that's the case from a macro standpoint. But like how how in the day to day. I mean, what are they expecting these players to do with regards to the data they're giving them? Um, that's all that different from from other organizations. What what? G- give me the give me the view of the front office from the players' perspective, from what you can tell.
0: Well, it's not for everybody. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, within that clubhouse, there are guys who are more willing uh, to to think about different things. But I think here, here's what here's what I think the front office is shooting for here, especially with the hire of Kapler, is that. They are looking for Kapler and whoever will be on his coaching staff to interpret and translate the data into something that doesn't sound like analytics or sound like data uh, to these players. I mean, they want guys who are not analytically driven players uh, to be making decisions more analytically, and that doesn't seem – that seems incongruous, but – there is a way and it's very hard and teams have struggled to find ways and maybe the Dodgers and the Astros are the best examples of teams who have done the best job of translating and implementing uh, the data on a field level Uh, that's what the Phillies are going to shoot for they want they're going to want a player to be doing something not because he likes analytics or because he was doing some deep studying and and found oh this and this they want a player to be doing something because uh, a suggestion was presented to them based on the data, uh, and it might be an adjustment, uh, and maybe they don't even know that it was based on data. They just want coaches and a manager who's able to uh, better interpret or better translate suggestions that come
1: from the data. But, like, what types, what, what types of things specifically concrete-wise are we talking about? Like throwing a pitch in a certain count to a certain hitter in a certain location or, you know, n- you know, taking a pitch with two strats? You know, what, what kind of, you know, thi- like... What is Kapler going to come up to a guy and say, hey, you know, Vince Velasquez, I want you to do this because the data says this? Is it, is it, you know, pitch sequencing? What, what what kind of things is this front office feeding these guys?
0: It could be anything. I mean, I think for for pitching it's easier to break it down to I me. Mean, it could be uh, throwing a high fastball more often. Right. It could be, you're like you said, throwing a certain pitch in certain counts. It could be throwing one pitch more often than another based on the data saying that this pitch uh, – produces better results or or has uh you know generates worse swings hitting wise it's a, it's a it's a i would say it's a little more difficult to uh verbalize i mean it could be swing adjustments based right. on you know everyone wants to get the ball in the air right now well that that isn't you know that isn't a catch-all you know not every that doesn't work for every player right uh, could it be something they suggest for more players? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's definitely possible. But yeah, I mean, there could be more situations and when to swing, when not to swing. You know, maybe more situations on. Look, hey, when you get two strikes, look, they're always. And this is stuff that the Phillies were doing before, but uh, sometimes it requires a different voice. And, and, I mean, there's there's different things they can do, and, and I think. A lot of it also will come down to how Kapler manages the game, too. I mean, he's going to take more input, I think, from the front office than the previous staff did, uh, and that's not to say that the general manager will now be managing, you know, making pitching changes or making line decisions, but I, I think there will be, uh, there will be more in lockstep uh, in terms of, you know, hey, the data says we should be, you know, perhaps we should be using this pitcher in this situation more, or we should be using... Uh, This player, this player should be batting higher, batting lower. This player should be playing here. Uh, You know, there will just be—it'll just be. I think it'll be cited more. I think it'll be uh, a little more open-minded. And and, uh, look, this is this is the way the game is going right now. I mean, this is this is—and and and it's hard to ignore the data. I think the data is really important. Uh, But the best managers are the ones who who have a feel for their players. As well, I mean, it's going to take. It takes both. I think it takes both sides, and I think it's, even the most analytically inclined would uh, would say that there there are two sides to it.
1: Well, you know, as you said, like take for for instance, um, like like Vince Velasquez did not have a. Fi- uh, it's it's hard for me to believe that Vince Velasquez had a five point one three ERA last year because he refused to listen to data. You know, um, so I I think that the pitching coach might be the biggest hire that, I mean, it's always the biggest hire I would guess, but I mean that for the Phillies to take this next step forward. uh, I mean, to me, this pitching staff, finding someone who can connect with a guy like Vince Velasquez, um, you know, continue to, to usher Aaron Nola through his, his, the early parts of his career. um, And more, more than anything, find a way once these guys get up to the big leagues to, to maximize that. I'm not saying Bob McClure didn't do that, but that's, you know, if you're, if you're, the Phillies are at a point right now where where they've got suddenly a lineup that with Aaron Altair, Adubo Herrera, Reese Hoskins, Nick Williams, the way he swung down the stretch, Cesar Hernandez. Um, I mean, they've got, they've got the potential to have five or six guys, you know, right off the bat, but, you know, as above average power bats at, at their positions. But, you know, it's going to be – you've written a ton about this. Breen has written a ton about this. Uh, it's going to be really hard to fix this pitching staff – if there is not some improvement internally, um, both up here and down on the farm, um, where, you know, any one of these guys who have failed um, to develop, in Jake Thompson, you know, uh, Mark Apple, uh, Mark Appel, yada, 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 um, not to mention the bullpen. What, what do you think Kapler can bring on that front? Ha- have you heard any ideas as to what kind of pitching coach he might bring in here? Does it even matter?
0: No, I think the pitching coach is a huge, huge hire for them uh, I mean, obviously Kapler was a position player he you know he has ex- some experience as a farm director in developing or overseeing the development of pitchers, but the pitching coach is an absolutely huge hire and and that will be made by the front office i mean obviously, Kapler will have some input, but I think it's fair to assume that a lot of the coaching staff and i'm I'm writing about this right now before you before we started talking. You know the the front office will have a serious influence on the next coaching staff, and I would expect a lot of the staff to have sort of the same uh, kind of forward thinking uh, mantra that that Kapler and the and the GM have. Uh, pitching coach is huge. I wouldn't put it past them he look at a guy like Rafael Chavez, who's been their minor league pitching coordinator the last few years, who has drawn like seriously ray reviews uh and their and if you look at their lower level pitching development that's starting to creep up mm-hmm. in the double A, there's some there's some real things happening there. He could be a guy there are a lot of big names out there for pitching coaches who have already been now hired in other places. Mike Maddox for example, Chris Basio, uh there's another one that I'm mm-hmm. forget oh, Jim Hickey who's gonna mm-hmm. go to the Cubs. Uh it's it's really hard to tell there. Uh you know I think what we've seen is that the big names, I don't know that it really matters. I mean, they're looking for the right fit. Uh, it's possible that Rick Kranitz, uh is somehow retained, whether he's assistant pitching coach again or maybe even pitching coach. Uh, he had a very strong rapport with much of the staff. Uh, he's an Andy McPhail guy. But all the coaches from the previous staff, with the exception of Stairs, uh, were hired before Klintak became general manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would expect them to retain, you know, one or two, or maybe even three coaches in the previous staff, because it would be highly unusual for them to just completely start from scratch. You almost always see one, one or two coaches retained. Uh, Dusty Watson is under contract with the Phillies for 2018. He's he's going to be in your organization somewhere. He's either going to be the Triple A manager or he's going to be on Kapler's staff, uh, and and that that remains to be seen. They're still trying to decide uh, how that'll go. I'm sure that, uh, Chappell would want to talk to Waffen before they made a decision on adding him to the staff, but, uh, he could be on the staff in some capacity. The pitching coach hire is, is, a, is a really big one. I mean, if you remember the last time they tried to hire a pitching coach, <laughs> they basically went through four, 14 different guys before they came uh, to Bob McClure. And, you know, that wasn't an indictment of Bob McClure. I think Bob McClure did some good things. I think Bob McClure did some bad things. Uh, I don't think Bob McClure will be back, but uh, it's it's uh it's going to be a really interesting hire there.
1: What I mentioned Vince Velasquez's name is is he supposed to be good for spring training?
0: Yeah, he's going to be good for spring training, and Cause you know, the big a, question for him is going to be how many innings can he throw next right. year? I mean, he he you can't expect him to throw more than 120 innings next year i mean so they're going to still start him though i mean i i fully expect them to try to keep starting him and nick pavetta mm-hmm. uh, maybe a different voice uh as their coach helps them develop maybe not i mean i think uh, like you said i mean vince Velasquez didn't pitch last poorly last year because he ignored data uh you know there were some real issues with vince Velasquez, but there's also some real talent there i don't i think that's no doubt, undeniable. Uh, so,
1: who's coming up? With, He's an interesting guy. Do, is there any hope for for uh, any of these double A? Who the guys who finished at double A last year? Uh, probably not spring training, but but next season, are they in the plans at all? I'm talking about. Uh, well, so
0: the next wave, the, yeah, the next wave of pitchers, starting pitchers specifically, that you'll hear about. The two guys who probably will help them next year from the minors are Tom Eshelman and Drew Anderson. Both of those guys finished at AAA. Uh, both of them started at double a uh they're both they're both on the radar for next year if you need replacements during the season for injury for ineffectiveness those guys are certainly going to be up next year they will make starts for them and then the next wave is the wave that gets really interesting jojo romero is a guy who has a ton of steam right now he finished at at clearwater high a he'll be at double a to start next year he's left-handed uh he was a mid-round uh like maybe a fourth or fifth round pick in the draft a a Juco guy he uh, people like him a lot scouts from other organizations like him a lot he's gained a lot of steam Franklin Kilome will be at Redding to start next year he ended at double-A last year also highly regarded Ranger Suarez is a left-handed pitcher who will be at double-A next year he'll be on the 40-man roster also kind of made himself into a legit prospect after being a fringy guy uh Anthony Dominguez is the guy who will be at double-A next year. The double-A pitching staff actually is going to be pretty interesting uh, next season, but those guys are probably a year off from really contributing. Maybe Romero gets to the majors by the end of 18, but I doubt it. Uh, that the, the Clearwater and Reading pitching staff, Clearwater obviously will have Sixto Sanchez there to start, uh, who's the best pitching prospect in the system. They're, those are where the next wave is, but you're probably looking more at 2019 on those guys than 2018.
1: You, you and I were both in the house for Sir, not, not Sir Anthony, but Sir Andy McPhail's um, uh, week yearly. He's like he's like a, he's like Punxsutawney Phil. He, he surfaces once a year to, <laughs> to, to to cast his shadow on the organization. Uh, we were at we were at Andy McPhail's press conference, and he kind of poured cold water, um, as anybody would have expected, on on the notion that they might go out there and, and become players for a guy like you, Darvish, or spend a, spend a ton of money in free agency. But but I mean the, the Phillies really are at a point if their lineup, you know, continues to evolve like it did last season where it, it would be a real real shame um to to have you know Reese Hoskins and a doable and, and Altier stepping up to the plate three out of every four at bats with a six run deficit on the board. Um that can't be good for morale. what do you think is the plan for this offseason? I mean there's a there's a, there's a there's a long jump between you Darvish and Clay Buckholz, uh, where where on that spectrum would you anticipate the the Phillies uh, landing?
0: So I think their first tactic will be to try to flip one or two position players for a pitcher,
1: like a Freddie Galvis in a trade, like or, a Freddie
0: Galvis, maybe even one of the outfielders if they're shooting higher, Yeah. Williams or Dubo Herrera or Aaron there, but. I I don't think that's a winning proposition because teams do not want to trade their young controllable pitchers, and that's what you would be looking for if you're trading one of your young controllable position players. A pitcher for position player swap just doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. anymore. So I think that will be their first. I think that will be their first try. If they don't find anything there, maybe they try to trade for someone's bad contract, much like they did uh, in the past uh, with Clay Buckles or. Jeremy Helkson or Charlie Morton, if that doesn't work, they try to sign someone to a one-year deal. Or I think they have to add two, quote-unquote, veteran-ish starters uh, just to help them with the innings in the middle of that rotation. And if that doesn't work, because it is a pretty slim free agent market, I would expect them to try to really upgrade the bullpen with veterans Mm -hmm. because they can come on one-year deals. That's a tactic they tried last year, and it worked
1: really well with
0: Pat Dyshek. They they got a great half-season out of him. They flipped them into three guys. Uh, it didn't work so well with Joaquin Benoit, but uh, kind of up and down there. Uh, I, You know, I think they try to upgrade the pitching uh, in the middle of the pack. It's going to be somewhere between Clay Buchholz and Hugh Darvish. And look, like, do you want to sign Yu Darvish or Jake Arrieta to a four- or five-year no. deal right now? I I, I I probably don't. I mean, we are all in agreement that they need to upgrade the pitching. That is without question. But the upgrades, to me, it seems like are not there right now. No. And maybe there will they will be there in another year. They probably will be. There will at least be a better free agent market. They might be in the point where they're ready to, to package some of their prospects together to trade uh, for a youngish starting pitcher on another team. That's probably your best uh, – might be your best avenue at that point because the Philly system is hailed for its depth, and it, and it is real. And so, what do you do with depth? Well, you package it together and you trade it. Uh, I think that is ultimately uh, their path toward upgrading the rotation. I just don't think they're in that point yet, where they're like, okay, we know that this is a prospect we want to trade, we're ready to move on from this guy. Uh, I still think they're a year away from that.
1: Well, we've got uh, we've got all offseason to to speculate on that. Um, we're still in that dead period, baseball. Baseball likes to play by its uh, chivalry chivalrous this rules.
0: This isn't dead. Have you been watching the World <laughs> Series? This has been, like the greatest World Series ever. This has been anything but dead. I know. I know. There's it's, not. There's nothing always, like watching. uh I know. Th-
1: There's nothing like watching former Phillies greats like Charlie Martin, uh in action. Uh, how about that? By the way, what is up? What, what do the Astros know that the Phillies don't? Because this is two pitchers now that, that have left. So Chad Qualls, I don't know if you remember, uh, was looked like spent spent his entire Phillies career looking like he had woken up on a Temple University fraternity couch, um, and then the next year was throwing like <laughs> 97 mile per hour heat while saving 30 games for the Astros. And now Charlie Morton is dealing. What's the, what's the deal there?
0: Well, so if people remember, and I actually wrote about it, uh, right before Charlie Morton blew out his hamstring uh, running to first base in Milwaukee last, I guess it was April, two Aprils ago, uh, he was throwing harder. And and I wrote about it, and basically he had ditched his two-seam fastball. He was always known as a sinker baller. And he had ditched it. He was just like, I'm just going to throw harder. I'm going to throw a four-seam fastball. I'm going to throw it as hard as I can. I'm going to use my curveball uh, you know, to complement it. And he like, looked up the score and was like, holy expletive, I'm throwing 96. Mm-hmm. And he had started to really figure it out before he got hurt. Now, revisionist history, should the Phillies have picked up his option after only starting four games? I think he had like a $9 million uh, club option for 2017. I-, I guess they should have picked it up. I don't think you can kill him for not picking it up. The guy only made four starts to them. He had season-ending surgery. It had nothing to do with his arm, but uh, it would have been hard to to predict, you know, Charlie Martin starting game seven of the ALCS (laughs) and then starting game four of the World Series, Uh, but credit to the Astros. I mean, they saw, I think, I don't think the Phillies missed it. I think they saw that there was something going on there. I just don't think they were willing to commit to him like the Astros were. The Astros gave him a two-year deal, and uh, it was a very shrewd
1: so, are we expecting Gabe Kaplan to meet the media, whatever, one day after the World Series ends? Is that right?
0: Yes, yeah, sometime this week. Uh, he's here in Philadelphia now. Uh, John Clark intercepted him at the airport. <laughs> of course, he did. Love it. Uh, he, I would expect a press conference either Wednesday or Thursday this week, depending uh, on how the World Series goes.
1: Well, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be interesting. I definitely was not prepared for the name Gabe Kapler, but it's a like you said, bold hire. It's it's uh it's going to
0: be received. It's being received. Let's just say it's being received in many different ways across baseball. <laughs> I think there are uh, there there are some opinions. There are some
1: opinions about this. All right, Matt. Thanks for thanks for checking in, man. Have a good week. All right, now let's see if we can't get Zielinski on the horn so that we can talk about Jay Ajayi again. Just to refresh your memory: the Philadelphia Eagles have acquired Miami Dolphins running back Jay Ajayi for a fourth-round draft pick. One of three that the team has, uh, Mike. What do you think, Mike? Uh,
2: can wait for uh, for the uh, P.A. announcer at Lincoln Financial Field to say it exactly like that.
1: Um, yeah, I'm sure Dave Spadero is working on the pronunciation as we talk. It's funny because I we have not podcasted in a while. I'm sure none of you have actually noticed. Um, we did. We actually did get a, a few uh, Twitter Twitter questions wondering where the podcast was. Uh, we, did. we did. So
2: thank you. Shout out to all those people who asked
1: because we appreciate it. So so anyway, um, we finally found the the key to the broom closet. I was able to let Mike Sielski out, and now we can resume podcasting. Um, and I <laughs> I was gonna say I I had this big elaborate open prepared about where I was gonna talk about how you know you know you know Philadelphia sports are on the come up because the Eagles are seven and one and Carson Wentz is an MVP candidate. And the Broncos are coming into town, and all I want to talk about is the Phillies and the Sixers because the Phillies have hired Gabe Kapler, and the Sixers yeah. the Sixers just beat the Rockets and, and are looking really, really good right now. But then, of course, I, I, my phone buzzes and, and the Eagles trade for J.I. What do
2: you think?
1: Um, well, let me just say, with regards to the Phillies, we're going to bring Matt Gelbin here in a few minutes to talk about Gabe Kapler. But as far as J.I. Okay. goes, I, I'm and i I was just kind of riffing on this on Twitter a little bit, and, and, as you would expect, Twitter responded to it with with um, a, a heavy level of thought and introspection. They really considered what I had to say uh, you know re- really kind of re- really kind of went back some good healthy back and forth on twitter um, no i 'm just kidding, everyone said I was being a negative nancy and, and i 'm not my only point is that th- i I feel like the Eagles. Um, I feel like over the last couple of years, they've gotten into a habit of giving up draft position in order to fill immediate needs. Uh, and I think that they've been pre- paying, paying a premium in service time. L- look, this all comes down to e- economics. Jay Ajayi was drafted in 2015 with a fifth-round draft pick. The Eagles traded a fourth-round draft pick for him in 2017. So the Dolphins acquired a Ajayi. They acquired four years of Ajay, 64 years of Ajay, at a below-market contract for a fifth-round pick. The Eagles are getting half of that for a fourth-round pick. My only point is that okay. if, if you get in the habit of doing that, if you get in the habit of trading back 20 spots in the third round for, for one year of Timmy Jernigan, if you get in the habit of giving up a third-round pick and the four-year rookie contract that comes with that for two years of, of Ronald Darby... At some point, you run out of assets to build your future with, and I think the one thing we've seen with the Eagles this year it's kind of it's kind of an, the interesting about the position they're in because one can argue that this this right now they're they're poised to have their best talent this year as opposed to the next couple of years because you got Alshon Jeffrey hitting free agency, you got Jernigan hitting free agency, you got uh, Jason Peters probably retiring after this this knee injury, clearly not going to be back next year. You know, you've got, you know, who knows what Jordan Hicks' status is for next year. Um, that, that's my only point. My only point is it, you, can't, you can't judge these transactions in a vacuum. The, Eagle, the Eagles did not give up a fourth-round pick for a Pro Bowl running back as it's being framed. They, they traded for the last year and a half remaining on JHIA's contract. And their cost was a fourth-round pick that otherwise would have been used on a player that would have been with the team for, for four years. You know, I mean, there's no uh, mm-hmm. after a year and a half, you're going to have to maybe,
2: pay. Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? A fourth round. There's no guarantee that a fourth round pick is necessarily with the team for four years, there's, especially given as we've discussed how he rose the draft records.
1: There's no guarantee that you don't drive off the road and this podcast is lost forever. Yeah,
2: but you're, you're, yeah, I understand that. But but that leads to my question, which is: Doesn't the fact that a, a Jai has shown what he can do at the NFL level
1: mitigate some of the risk that you're talking about. No, no, no. So, so listen, This is an economic... And again, I, just to, to put this out there, I actually think in this, in, in this actual circumstance, I think the Eagles... I don't think it's a bad move. Um, I understand it. Uh, there's no question this makes the team better. Uh, I'm arguing this from an economic standpoint. What I'm saying is you... Could have had a rookie under contract for four years. Now you have a con- a guy under contract for a year and a half. It's it when it comes to to building your roster and allocating salary dollars. You know those rookie contracts are what enable you to go out and sign your Alshon Jeffries sign your whatever. I, I'm just saying it's an economic. You can't you can't have everybody in here playing on a one year contract. You want to have a team the next year. It, it's more about that they gave up. It, it's not that they gave up a fourth round pick. In isolation, is that they gave up a fourth-round pick for a year and a half of a guy when otherwise they would have gotten four years of a guy for that. And yes, I know, of course, there's no, yeah. of course, there's no guarantee that he's here for that the guy's here for four years. But I mean, if that's the case, just trade all your draft picks for whoever's, you know, for veterans. That's not, yeah, it's I, irrelevant. I it's an
2: irrelevant. I understand you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but but by the same token, you know, you're not in. You're 7-1 and one now, and you have a situation in Miami where you have uh, a head coach who's angry about the place of the team um, coming off an awful performance, wanting to send a message.
1: Oh, that's not that is not, that is not what who,
2: Just hear me out.
1: What's that? That's such a na- – I mean, come on. Like that, that's not how people make decisions in the NFL. I mean, this, is, this was the, the market value. It like,
2: is, actually. It's exactly how the Miami Dolphins made this decision.
1: You, th- you don't think it- you exactly don't you, they- don- you don't think it's because they've had contract extension talks with Jaiye and the number he was you asked No, I, th-
2: I think you think I this think,
1: was you think, think Adam Gase woke no, up in the morning. Think- you think Adam Gase woke up in the morning and said, "You know what? I'm pissed off about yesterday's game. I'm going to trade somebody for a fourth round pick. My future be damned." No, I
2: think Adam. No, I, I disagree. I think Adam Gase. Has a Nick Saban slash Bill Belichick streak to him without the history. I
1: didn't realize I didn't realize you and Gates were boys. I didn't know you had a I didn't know you had a, a psychological profile on a built already.
2: I, I, I've talked. I've already been on the phone with people who know him. Oh, okay. This morning. Okay. Now, look, you you you're framing this entirely about the economics of it, and I'm saying that there are other factors that could potentially go into it. And when Adam Gates. If you let me finish, if Adam, when Adam Gase, after his team loses 40 to nothing, says, we need to make some changes around here, and cites uh, Jay Ajay as a guy who he's not happy with. And when Mike Tannenbaum, the office president and general manager, has a longstanding friendship and working relationship with Howie Roseman, there might be other factors going into this other than Pure economics, and when you have a situation like the Eagles have now, where they are seven and one, they are in a position to capitalize, in theory, on having a young elite quarterback, having, as you said, the talent that they have around them now. That sort of thing leads to this kind of trade. Now, as far as whether you know the, the, the overall pattern, you may be right you know but by the same token i'm not sure that that's necessarily high on the eagles priority list at this point uh, maybe it'll come back to bite them maybe it will but i am just saying that that the thought that anything other than the possibility of the dolphins I mean maybe maybe it, maybe it factors in in this situation that adam gates knew that he didn't want you know he didn't want to resign jay agi right that's my whole he's point seen enough right okay but that doesn't necessarily—that isn't
1: necessarily born out of it's. it's uh, that is an economic way to think. It's do what is this guy going to be it, here it, in the it, future? If not, I might not as well get a fourth-round pick for him. I, I think I,
2: it's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. All right, that's fine.
1: But all I'm all I'm trying to do is 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 modulate a little bit here or moderate a little bit here. I mean, Jay Ajayi.
2: And again,
1: very good running back. I like the guy, and and I'm kind of extracting. I'm kind of building this small thing into a big picture thing. Forget about the small thing. Forget about whether it was a good move. the The, the notion that it was unequivocally a good move just because JHI was a Pro Bowl and the Eagles only gave up a fourth round pick is just completely. It's just not how you val. It's not how you value things. Okay. All
2: right. Well, you're you're a pyromaniac in a field of straw men. There. Let's just deal with what. You know, let's deal with what happened, and you know, we don't need to set up this this you know Twitter based idea of you know what the trade is versus what it actually is. That's well, and, that's our
1: whole job. Uh, that's why we're having this podcast. <laughs> so do, should we just hang up and and uh, let people let the future play out?
2: No, all I'm saying is all I'm saying is that it was more than just the Dolphins determining that they didn't want to sign. It was the timing that went into it that allowed it to happen now. Part of it is Adam Gase doesn't want him around right now. Adam Gase wants to send a message right now. Mike Tannenbaum and Howie Roseman have a relationship and can make a deal. That's part of this, too. And from the Eagles' standpoint, the other part of their thinking is, we're going we're gonna to strike now. If the Eagles were three and four, maybe they don't make this deal. But they're not. They're
1: seven and one, and they're saying to themselves,
2: "We can go after it now, and well, we what, can what is probably going
1: probably at- make a similar run next season." Well, what, what, what is going after it? I mean, I think I think we're we're overhyping a little bit the impact. I mean, I think the Eagles need J.H.I. I think when I watched, um, I think when I watched the Eagles play against the Niners on Sunday, there were there were multiple running lanes that Legarrette Blunt failed to take advantage of because he's just too slow. Okay. Um, and J.H.I. Wow. certainly has burst. He's a tough runner. Um, he's a good runner between the tackles. He is not um, the greatest receiver in the world, but I, from what I understand, he's a decent pass protector. Um, all of that, all of that is is what, what I what I am talking about is the, is what is that value to the Eagles versus now versus going to the future? Do I think Jay Ajayi dramatically increases their ability to contend for a Super Bowl? I don't. I really don't. Um, you know, I think that they're going to really struggle. I, I, look, I think that that in this year in the NFC, they're as positioned as anybody. Um, you know, to make that Panthers, Ravens, Niners type run. Um, you know, you've got uh-huh. you've got Aaron Rodgers out. The Falcons hired Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator, so they're out. Uh, you know, th- it's open this year, but you can't. I I just keep thinking back to when everyone. Laughed at the Cleveland Browns for trading away a guy named Trent Richardson to the Indianapolis Colts um, for a first-round pick, and it was the, the the conventional wisdom on the day of that trade was that um, it was a brilliant move by Ryan Grigson and haha, lol, Browns, you know, building for the future. The Colts right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but they're in, they're in really really bad shape, and they're in bad shape in large part because they spent. Andrew Luck's first couple years wasting draft picks, trading away draft picks, failing to optimize their draft assets, and now they have no team around him. And Andrew Luck is um, looking to miss his second straight um, season. And I think that that's – or or is looking at his second straight layoff due to shoulder surgery. I think that that is the future I'm comparing this present against, not some, you know – like This is not being negative. It's about wanting what's best for the Eagles. And I, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know that I, I don't know if this is best for the Eagles, to be honest with you. I, I think they need I think they need I think they need some heavy duty building in the next couple of years. And they're going to need all the draft assets that they can get uh, because they're already starting out behind the eight ball. That's my only point.